Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. It's the beginning of the end. Da, da, da. Final season begins. That angers me that he can't fold that pizza. I had the same note. Wait, do you but, not like that part of the movie? Because that's, no, that's no, 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 the no. movie. No. I thank God every day I know the lyrics to enter the same man. <laughs> after brutal dumping. No, that sounds terrible. <laughs> after, <laughs> after I took a brutal dump. <laughs> Hi, I'm Mike Butler. And I'm Mike Field. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that for a variety of reasons was forgotten by audiences. Whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time, or the film simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie, or maybe don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. If you enjoy our podcast, we want to hear from you. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Find us. Our podcast is available on all platforms with a backlog of over 200 episodes for your listening pleasure. What's going on? Uh, nothing much. I'm doing well. You know, I was just looking for a new job, mm-hmm. uh, as I normally do well, on the spinning job board of spins oh, that go way too fast to that, read. That's a great job board. Though. Yeah. I, I got a job at a mail room. Somebody jumped out the window and then bang, boom, I am the president of a company. Sounds great. I had this idea too. Okay. It's a circle, <laughs> you know, for kids. for kids, greedy executive, Sidney J. Musburger hopes to take control of the company he works for by purchasing a majority share, but he must first devalue the stock. So he convinces the board to appoint no-nothing recent graduate Norville Barnes. But Musburger's plot backfires when Barnes' latest invention succeeds, thereby increasing the company's value. Worse yet, undercover reporter Amy Archer has the scoop on Musburger's shady dealings. We're talking about the Hudsucker Poxy. I can't believe we didn't even have any even said the title. <laughs> awesome. So uh, you had not seen this film, right? I have not. Interesting. Okay, so the Hudsucker Poxy has a runtime of 111 minutes. It's rated PG. Production budget of anywhere between $25 million and $40 million, depending upon what you read. Its limited release date was Friday, March 11th, 1994. Its opening weekend, it did $104,000. Domestic, $2.8 million. International, $7.5 million for a worldwide total of $11.3 million. Production company was Silver Pictures, Working Title Films, and Polygram Filmed Entertainment. And it was distributed by Warner Brothers in the United States and rank film distributors in the United Kingdom. So it said it came out on the 11th and a limited release. It went up against in a wide release, Lightning Jack and Guarding Test. Guarding Test is actually like, I mean, it's, it's actually okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a limited, Do people have a problem with that movie? Uh, I think it's overlooked often. I okay. think it's an often overlooked film. A uh, limited release that, year, that week, excuse me, you had four weddings and a funeral. Why do I have a wide release for the ref? That can't be right. That's got to be a re-release. When did the ref come out? Did it come out in in, in March? I think it like did we because did, we had fun fact. We did the ref because we had an like, issue with it coming out at the at a weird time. Yeah, yeah. The ref wow. came out in March and we the, were mad at it. Yeah. yeah, yeah so like, right. mind you, I did. We did the ref episode like you know it was months ago, more than most. It was two years, years ago because yeah. I remember the commercial we did because I, I stumbled through that the Dennis Leary stuff. Yeah, right. That was like 2020. Wow, was that 2020? Yeah. I'm wasn't pretty, 2021 wasn't last christmas maybe it was yeah yeah okay anyways so uh like i said the ref came out that, that wednesday before the ninth the week before that the march 4th you had i'm gonna go backwards here in a wide release you had greedy which was an episode we did the chase we did that for forgotten february or forgotten takeover for the plane the chase we did for forgotten 
Takeover? takeover yeah. I think it was Takeover. Takeover. It was one of the first movies. Yep. Uh, movies. You had Angie and What's Eating Gilbert Grape and then the limited release of China Moon and Sirens. The week after, the uh, March 18th, you had, this is a week after the 11th release date, you had in a wide release Naked Gun, 33 and a third, The Final Insult, and Monkey Trouble, and you had a limited release of Mother's Boys, Bitter Moon, and The Paper. You ever see The Paper? Yes. Paper. I had to watch The Paper in journalism. The Paper's really good. Yeah. Uh, so this movie is a, if you didn't know already, this is a Coen Brothers film, and I am a big fan of the Coen Brothers as well as Butler. This movie was directed by Joel Cohen, who's done Burn After Reading, an episode we did, Blood Simple, The Tragedy of Macbeth, that's the more recent one that's on Apple Plus, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, they He won an Oscar for Fargo. He was nominated for an Oscar for Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And he was nominated for two Oscars for No Country for Old Men. Uh, it was written by Ethan Cohen, Joel Cohen, and Sam Raimi. Ethan Cohen has done Suburbicon. This is the, the movies that he's written. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bridge of Spies, Unbroken, and Gambit. I tried to find movies that he also didn't direct. Joel Cohen was nominated for an Oscar for The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I think they both were for writing. Uh, Bridge of Spies as well and True Grit. So they both wrote Bridge of Spies. I, I probably My credits are all messed up here. If you don't know who Sam Raimi is, uh, check out Evil Dead, the series. He also did Drag Me to Hell and Spider-Man. Uh, he actually wrote Spider-Man 3. But not the first two, but obviously he directed the original oh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. That's too bad that he wrote Spider-Man 3. Well, he's one thing. of the writers. It's Spider-Man actually, 3 is listen, bad. it's not as bad as I think. If you go back to it, I agree with you. I, I'm not going to defend it because it's got moments, but it's not <laughs> as bad. I uh, I haven't watched it since the theater just because. I hear you. I I, no. There was one time I was flipping through the channels and I, I was like, all right, Spider-Man 3, I'm, I'm bored. I got nothing to do. But it was the scene where he gets like bad and he just, it's the music video. Kind I know, of one, and I was I like, know. nope, I'm out. It's so corny. <laughs> it's so corny. But yeah, I hear you. Okay. This film cinematographer was Roger Deakins. He has 15 total nominations for cinematography for Oscars. He's won two, 1917 and Blade Runner 2049. Composer was Carter Burwell, who was nominated for, I basically copy and pasted from the last movie we did with Carter Burwell. (laughs) (laughs) Nominated for Oscar for three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri and Carol. He's also done the founder and the Banshees of Inishirin, which will be on Disney Plus soon or now. It's on Disney Plus. Oh, it's going to Disney Plus? I saw that and now that I was like, see it soon on Disney Plus. So so by the time everyone listens to this, which is in April, uh, probably late March, early April, maybe. I was wondering, I think this is late March. Yeah, Yeah, it'll already be out Disney Plus. So we had a good holiday. Uh, Edited by Tom (laughs) Noble. Uh, who did uh, nominate, excuse me, won an Oscar for Witness and was nominated for an Oscar for Thelma and Louise, produced by Ethan Cohen, who's produced Bad Santa and all the Cohen Brothers films. Uh, this movie stars Tim Robbins as Norville Barnes. He has won an Oscar for Mystic River, nominated for an Oscar for Dead Man Walking, and he's also in Shawshank Redemption, of course. Jennifer Jason Lee as Amy Archer, who was nominated for an Oscar for The Hateful Eight. She's also in Dolores Claiborne and Single White Female. Paul Newman as Sidney J. Musburger, won an Oscar for The Color of Money. He was nominated for a cat on a hot tin roof, he's actually had he actually has to, ten total Oscar nominations, which is pretty amazing. When I think we talked ad nauseum about Paul Newman in our Nobody's Fool episode, correct? Uh, we were big, big fans. Charles Durning as Warring Hudsucker, he was nominated for two Oscars: one for the best little whorehouse in Texas, and To Be or Not to Be. And he's also in Dog Day Afternoon. John Mahoney as Chief, you may know him from Frasier's, the dad in TV show Frasier's, also Moonstruck and Barton Fink. Bill Cobbs as Moses. Uh, he's in Demolition Man and That Thing You Do. Harry Buggin as Aloysius, who's in Barton Fink and The Big Lebowski. Aloysius and Moses are 
like almost like good versus evil in this movie, which yep. we'll get into a little bit. Bruce Campbell as Smitty. Yeah, the <laughs> gets, chin. He gets smacked around a lot. <laughs> he's obviously from Evil Dead in the TV show Burn Notice. Peter Gallagher has a little role in here as Vic Tanetta. He's a singer in this movie. He's in American Beauty and While You Were Sleeping. It's Steve Buscemi in here as Beatnik Barman. That's a great title. <laughs> uh, as Reservoir Dogs goes for most of the combo of the film, Armageddon. And then Anne Nicole Smith, who pretty much had her voice dubbed in this movie. As Zaza. <laughs> she plays like, she's like his... Uh, girlfriend at Norville's girlfriend when he gets really big but like he she says oh no she does talk when she's with the when she's bellhop. with the bellhop yeah, yeah she's supposed to be uh Zaza Gabor right yeah, they, yeah I think they're all like but she doesn't vague. even they don't even do a real impression no no all right so uh this is uh this is I think only one of two Coen Brothers films that are PJ uh and this is often a Coen Brothers film that people don't watch or people just either don't don't I don't know if they don't like, but they just don't watch or they don't gravitate towards. I didn't uh, even really know about right. it until you were talking. Obviously, we've talked about this movie since like season one. You bring it up, but yeah, I had no idea what this was. Uh, I I I mean, this movie. I mean, I like all the I, I like most of the Cone films. I don't if if they don't work, it might just be because I'm just not into it, or I'm just like oh, okay, that's okay. But I never have a problem with in terms of like the filmmaking and the storytelling. But this movie has one of my favorite moments of all the Coen Brothers films. And that's from when they're selling the hoop to when the kid picks it up and the music's playing and that, and that score uh, is playing. Yeah, yeah. And that, that whole, that whole um, section of the movie, which is probably about 10 minutes, maybe. Maybe. Is one of my favorite moments in Coen Brothers films. That could be a short film in and of itself like, right there. Yeah, I love that. I love the opening of Raising Arizona when it gets to the title credits like 10 minutes into the movie and you hear that you hear the guy yodeling and the song comes out. I love that. I love the end of Raising Arizona when he's like, maybe Utah. Like, so there are moments (laughs) in Combo the Films that I love. This is one of them, that moment in this film. We can get to that. But I'm curious because Butler has never seen it. Give me, I guess, did you like it? Was did you did you not like it? I did like it. I thought it was good. Um, I didn't think it was I mean, there are a couple of lines I really like. It was pretty goofball, but it wasn't maybe as goofball as I thought it might have been. It really reminded me a lot of another movie we did that was maybe a little too wacky. And now it's escaping my mind. Of course, I didn't write it in my notes. Same time period? Yeah, we did a movie that was like really weird. I think you liked it and I wasn't a huge fan of it. Not Brazil. No, there are moments in this movie that do remind me of Brazil, though. Well, it's very stylized. This film is a very yeah. stylized film. Oh, you know what? It kind of reminded me. Some parts reminded me a little bit of toys, like a toys that worked. So we did that for on the pint. Did I like toys? No, it, I don't even think it's toys <laughs> that I'm thinking of. It reminded me of a few movies, um, but parts reminded me of toys, but a, a, a toys that worked better. Right. But I liked it. I like from the opening shot and it's the miniature. of New Yes. York. I thought that was very nice. Good. I was like, oh, that's a nice miniature. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the way it's shot, which. Like you said, even I don't really like No Country for Old Men at all, but I love the way it's shot. Mm. I there is no Coen Brothers movie that I've seen so far. I think I only have a couple more left to watch, um, where I haven't loved the way it was shot. Right, it's just they have such a vision. Like obviously, their cinematographer, um, well, has a lot to do with it. Well, you get but the see that they work with. The argument also could be made is that these cinematographers that work with them like working with them because they know what they want. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? They don't have to come up with it on the fly and stuff. Right. They're, they're, they're working with comparable filmmakers and storytellers and and don't, don't kid yourself. People, cinematographers and composers, all these people, they're, they're, they love, they're part of the movies because they love movies. They want to be part of good stories. Right. So, yeah. So like the cinematography is just awesome. I love Tim Robbins. I think he needs to be in, he should have been in more stuff. It still needs to be in more stuff. I like when he's obviously he won Oscar for Mr. River. He's really serious. 
I like when he's goofy. I like when he's the everyman. I like when sure. he's this. Right. So I really like this. I really like him in the player. So that was nice to see him. I like Jennifer Jason Leigh was awesome in this movie. Right. Yeah. She was so good. I've, I've never really <laughs> seen her in too much stuff, I don't think, or where she's more the focus. Like, obviously, she was in The Machinist, but yeah. she didn't have a lot to do in that. Right, right. She's so front and center in this, and she does that acts that that old-timey newspaper voice so well. Yeah. And her character is awesome. Uh, so I, I really like this. Obviously, Paul Newman's really great. Uh, Paul Newman's awesome. As like this villain, not villain. I love the way he's not super villainous, but he's still right. kind of a villain. Yeah, yeah, The yeah. whole thing is just, I just thought overall it was really well done. Would I put this on my, the top of my list for Coen Brothers movies? I don't know. I probably wouldn't either. I think there's, there's just so many good there's things There's just that so they many do. good ones. Top of the, close to the comedy ones, I mean, I guess, but. How many comedies have they really done? But see, I can go back. See, the thing is, too, like I used to before we did Burn After Reading, you know, I, I liked right. Burn After Reading. But when we I watched it again, I was just like, wow, I really like like I, there was parts in it I really like. So right. I think the, their movies are movies that when you watch, you, you have to watch more than once. Or oh, the dialogue always. Right. Everything comes a mile a minute. Right. There's always something. Yeah. I mean, look at Miller's Crossing. We just did. I mean, Miller's Crossing is kind of uh serious but it has moments of levity that are almost as funny as the moments in this film yeah miller's crossing is a nice blend of both i mean it really is a drama but it mm-hmm. actually has a lot of of good comedy in it mm-hmm. let's talk about because you, you were talking about characters talking about jason lee and amy archer and her kind of like fast talking 40s 30s and 40s and 50s kind of newspaper man newspaper woman that's like, right kinda, like this stuff uh, yeah. you know what you're thinking about you're thinking about the front page that's the show. That's the movie we did. With Maybe Walter parts of Math it were Jack Lemon. Right, yeah. Okay, which I love the front page. So it's not like that's not a movie. No, but I'm really saying like that's similar to that. So that is similar. Yeah. Why don't I talk about the Moses and Aloysius uh, characters? Because I didn't get. You know what's funny is when I first watched it, and I always remember that at the end of the film, Norval jumps or he slips and falls, but at the end he wants to jump, and uh, Moses stops the clock because Moses is the narrator. He's the guy who oils the clock and makes sure the clock goes. He talks about time. You don't really catch that. He's obviously somebody who knows a little bit more about everything. He knows everything. So he's right. obviously a character that when you first meet him, you're just like, okay, so he's some kind of like an overseer. Like he's whatever Well, he obviously is. the clock tower floor is connected to all the big wigs. So he gets to hear everything you, but, but you but also, also get there's to, more yeah. to it than that. But yeah, yeah. So he stops the clock, which stops normal from falling. So he's clearly uh, a supernatural element there. He's God. Essentially. I don't know. See, I don't know if he's God because then what makes Aloysius Satan, the devil see, but I, I can see yeah. like, or an angel. And that's what I was that, thinking. Like maybe he was like the archangel demon. or something like yeah. that. Maybe it was kind of like that. Like he's, um, so, but I never very realized. Time, very, uh, yeah, it's I never, a wonderful life. I never realized that Aloysius was that. I knew that they fought, but it never clicked in my mind when I first watched it. Oh wait, he stopped time. Why is Aloysius still moving? Then I'm like, oh, okay, wait a minute. This is like good versus evil. Yeah, and and that kind of I'm talking about this watch of this film. That something I never realized before, and and it kind of you know it, it was so minor though because really, they really hit you over the head with it. Right. So, but it was just a small part of the story. Did you like that that aspect? I mean, I like Bill Cobbs, and yeah. I did like the like the little fight, I guess. But stopping time in and of itself, I was kind of like, mm-hmm. uh, the movie never got that over the top. Mm-hmm. Maybe if they had something at the beginning that showed me something similar. I mean, it starts off with a voiceover, which I know we we always talk about how I don't like him. And but I but, but this, it's told like a story. This, like yeah, a, exactly. That's what I was gonna say. It's I, like I, almost I, like a Christmas story, but it's a New Year right. story, which. 
people are right now it's perfect for us to watch this film. Sure. Because it's like almost New Year's, it's close to the holiday season. But when we're releasing this, it's late March. We should have done this for our Christmas episode. <laughs> but uh yeah, like I think that definitely put me in the mood. So when I was thinking about it in that terms, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm okay with the clock stopping because it is kind of a holiday. Which is yeah, it's, it's a fairy tale. Like a holiday yeah. Fairy tale. yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, at first it was a, it was kind of jarring. Mm-hmm. But then I got used to it. I did like the the good versus evil kind of aspect to it. And that's they did they have like kind of like a small fist fight in the in the clock. And that whole set is great. I love the the inside of the clock. That's a nice little set. Yep. I love uh, Musburger's office where the clock hand comes down. I would love an office like that. And it's neon at night. Yeah, but that's, it's also like huge and jarring. Very like yeah. Both their offices yeah. are are super long. Um, the whole they they have you have the whole scene where he first meets Norville. And they have the whole like it's like a slapstick comedy where he's trying to put out the fire, the fire and he's the notes, dragging yep. the water bottle across the entire rug. And he's just Musburger's not paying attention to him. He's just get out. What are you doing? Yep. Yeah. Trying to open the window and seal shut. Yeah. Yeah. Which w- windows like obviously the movie starts with uh, Warren Hudsucker jumping out the out his window, mm-hmm. which, you know, he's going to do as he keeps looking out the window. It's like. This dude's either his soul's leaving his body or he's jumping. <laughs> and then he gets on the table. It's like, oh, snap. And yeah. then another executive tries to do that later on when Norville's uh, idea starts selling. Yeah. And he hits the window and I'm like, oh, the plexiglass had it installed last week. <laughs> I was like, That's awesome. The uh, by note, because at the end of the film, they Moses wraps it up at the end and he talks about how. You know, now that's the story of the guy who tried to d- jump off the 44th floor. He's like, well, that, that's like another guy who tried to jump off the 45th floor. But that's another story. That's I was awesome. like, when's that story coming? That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, <sucker> too. <laughs> that's another thing. I love it when they, they're they talking about the the floors. It's 37. No, 45. No, 44 if you don't count the mezzanine. Or 46 <laughs> if you don't count the, if you count the mezzanine. Yeah, when they're back and forth, the uh, vice presidents or the presidents. Yeah. But at the beginning, is Paul Newman in the scene at the beginning when he jumps out the window? Is no, he on one of those. Okay. He's not because he is uh, he's in his office or something like that. Oh, they, they do explain where he was during that. He's just not there. He's and then not. he he's there in the aftermath. They cut back to him and he's in the office when they have the broken glass and they're looking out. Yeah. So, so he's just not there. Clearly he was in the building. But yeah, he would probably think he would have been in the meeting. Oh, uh, I don't know. Maybe. That's, yeah, I don't know. I don't, they don't really kind of there's really no reason for him to be in the meeting because he, he, if he doesn't stop Hudsucker. If you show him and he's and he doesn't stop Hudsucker, then immediately oh, then he's he evil. Is the villain. Yeah, yeah. And then if you do see show him going, oh no, then you kind of like, okay, so is he the bad guy? Does he feel bad? Like just stuff like that. So you you really don't. Well, you yeah. the, the guy I, the it's the joke is funnier where you have the presidents looking up like, and they're like just staring at no him, and, like in dumbfounded, yeah. like what's going on. I just love when they cut to the shot of him running. It's like he's clearly not running fast enough to make that jump. Oh no, I was thinking the same. I was like, <laughs> can he even make that? Yeah. He's he's doing like he's like wind up too. He's like oh, yeah, left side, the right side. You're not making this jump, buddy. So you liked Tim Robbins in the lead, but did you know that Joel Silver wanted Tom Cruise? I saw that, and yeah. I was thinking that'd be interesting. It's definitely a diff would would have been a really doofy role for Tom Cruise to play. So it yeah. would have been really off character, which I would have liked to see mm-hmm. Tom Cruise not playing a cool guy, mm-hmm. other than obviously in Tropic Thunder. But then he's under all that prosthetics. He kind of stopped yeah. becoming Tom Cruise at that point, but this would be Tom Cruise being just he'd have to be goofball. goofball. Would he be able to do that? I don't know. I don't know. Tom Cruise like always like when he has to do like emotional work and stuff, he always surprises people. So. True, that's true. Maybe Who we're knows? not. Yeah, we're not giving him the the credit. But I like Tim Robbins doing it as well. 
Tom Cruise, if uh, maybe like 10 years, 15 years from now, a little older, he would be able to do the Paul Newman role. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. He would be able to do that Paul Newman role. hundred percent. Uh, I didn't realize that they offered, speaking of Paul Newman, they actually offered the role to Clint Eastwood. At, they could, so they originally wrote the script a long time ago. Right. 1984, they right. offered it to Paul Newman first. Well, they wanted Newman to do it. He couldn't do it. So right. they kind of, they didn't want to do it. They shelved it. Then they, then they offered it to Eastwood and he said no. And they went back to um, Paul Newman. I don't know if Clint, I think Clint Eastwood would have been all right too. You got <sighs> you kind of have that like, that older tough guy in the role. I think that's what you're looking at. Yeah, but I don't know if Eastwood was in the role. I might have thought of him more of uh, more as a straight up villain mm -hmm. than maybe Paul Newman. Mm -hmm. Paul Newman's just kind of a a backstabbing businessman. He's just like like uh, when Hudsucker comes down as an angel. He's like he's he's a good he's a shrewd businessman. He's a wolf. Yeah, and that's kind of what he is. He's not he's a villain in terms of this story, but he's not a villain in terms of like maybe being a person, mm -hmm. but I think Eastwood, I would be like, I would be waiting for Eastwood to like, I'm going to finish him off myself. <laughs> so I, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I'd be waiting for like a garrote wire. And he's like, <laughs> the other thing I didn't know was that I didn't realize that Joel Cohen worked as an assistant editor on the evil dead. Oh yeah. Now was that the original one or the, when they remade it, that was the original. So when the one they that he were all shot living together in a house, but the one that he shot in the gymnasium in New Jersey, that's evil Dead too. Okay. That's the second one. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. I did not. That they had somebody else and they had more corporate people looking over their shoulder. During sure. That edit. Sure. But the original one, it was just kind of like, Hey, I got this. Can you help me out? Yeah. Cause they went back into the freezing woods and lost actors. <laughs> they were all just like Paul. Uh, I think it was Bruce Campbell, the Coen brothers, uh, Francis McDormand, Sam Raimi, Ted Raimi, and then maybe one other person. That's pretty amazing. House. Yeah. Oh, Rob oh. Tabbert as well. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. I'm very surprised that Bruce Campbell has not. I know he's been in Cobra Brothers films, like little pieces here and there, right. but he's never like been. This is like the probably the longest of his roles in a Cobra Brothers oh, film. Oh, sure. Yeah. I'm surprised I've never had him on anything else. I am. Um, yeah. When I was watching this, it was like their friend, they kind of grew up together, but maybe. They had a falling out, so maybe that's why you don't see him in other things. But he was in Fargo. He plays the he's on the Spanish soap opera that they have on oh, the TV. That's right. I haven't seen Fargo in so long. I yeah. haven't watched that movie. So he's I mean, maybe after that, but he's in I'm I'm just very shocked that he hasn't been in more with yeah. them. Yeah. But Bruce Campbell's also kind of Bruce Campbell. He's such a like a has such a cult following and is mm -hmm. like when Bruce Campbell's in something, I think it kind of draws you out. You almost. think? For me it does. So <laughs> I guess Bruce Campbell. <laughs> maybe so maybe that's why they don't do it i mean it didn't affect burn notice i mean in terms of like him being a burn notice the, the tv show like that was a he didn't overtake that well, i thought he stole every scene he was in but yeah oh really i thought so i watched like the first two or three seasons then i got tired of it because i was like it's the same stuff happening. he gets he's more in it as the show goes on and i think there was a tv movie just about him as well afterward just about his character oh really i think so all right. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't watch that. I, I just think there was. So I didn't. Uh, another thing I didn't realize is that the death, the Warren Hudsucker death is actually inspired by a real life incident. Uh, 1975 on February 3rd, Eli Black, the CEO of the United Fruit Company, smashed an office window with his briefcase and jumped to his death from the 44th floor of the Pan Am building in New York City. Oof. It's like, what did they just hear the story? And like, hey, let's write, let's write something around that. It could also be another thing where like, like it's definitely inspired by this, but maybe not necessarily. In most films, most films that are shot in New York or are about New York, 
especially older films are usually up in Toronto because they still have that architecture or sometimes Cleveland. But this one was shot at Carolco Studios in yeah. Wilmington, North Carolina. It's primarily the scale set, the, oh, the, the yeah. way you were talking about. But those models that they used were also used for the shadow that we did. Batman okay. Forever, uh, Batman for- and Robin and Godzilla. See. Because one of my notes is a lot of this reminds me of Batman Returns. Yeah. So, okay. Well, I'll use one of the Batmans. Yeah. Because that's a snowy gothic kind of thing. Sure. And it's very like Gotham City and Tim Burton's one is very much uses that architecture and there's all the snow. Okay. And also in Batman Returns, I don't know if you remember Christopher Walken's character. Yeah. His office building is very much like that, like high rise. When it's look, when he's sitting like, at looking out. We don't yeah. Want when in the he room. Like pushes Selena Kyle out. Right, right, right. It's all very similar to like how they're kind of. That like 1984 Brazil kind of yeah stark architecture kind of thing. The mailroom reminded me a little bit of Brazil, a little bit like that kind of vibe. The mailroom, yep, yeah. the mailroom. And then when they're doing the, uh, all the clerks are together trying to price everything. <laughs> I was like, this is like absolutely Brazil. And they also reminded me of like an army of Colin Robinsons from like what we do in the shadows. <laughs> I like when they, he puts down, he gets the, the, big, the big open book, he, the huge book that they put together. And it's like, Cost to make 59 cents, uh, sale price 70 cents. cents. And the guy's like, mm. and then he writes the one, it's <laughs> just like, mm, all right, yes, 80 times more. <laughs> I love the uh, the characters trying to name the thing. Oh, uh, that's actually Raimi. Uh, I think Raimi's it's the guy sitting down, yeah, yeah. god, fellas, fellas, you got something, tell me you got fellas, something. I got something <laughs> that like that's part of the whole moment where I really, really love. Uh, that whole thing. So, I mean, because I know we're going to get into all the stuff we like, but uh, give me something maybe you you didn't like or something that was unforgivable. Uh, Not unforgivable. You know what I mean? I don't know if there's anything unforgivable in it. The one thing that kind of bothered me a little bit was, oh my god, he's the main character, uh, Norville's Norville's uh, intelligence or his doofiness. Yeah. They really played both sides of it a little too much and kind of took me out of it in some moments. Where yeah, those, I agree. Cause he's such a doofball. He's such an idiot. But at the same time, he's, he made the Dean's list every year, voted most likely to succeed. No one made fun of him growing up. It's like, but he is a doofus. Mm-hmm. Like I would have rather him like having scraped by on the edge of his teeth, kind of a nice guy, like a bumbling nice guy. Mm-hmm. And maybe he makes it based on being just, nice and knowing people mm-hmm. but they made it more just he's an idiot he's intelligent he's an idiot he's intelligent a little too much for me yeah well and also when he gets the position of president he becomes a douche he, like, you know what i mean yeah he beca- kind of comes out of left field right yeah and he's talking when he meets amy and she, she he doesn't know that it's she's a reporter she thinks he, she's just someone that uh, needed a job right which about, yeah. we can get to that moment too um but because he acts like a douche a little bit and he doesn't ever really listen to her, but still he kind of, when he does, when he drafts the letter, cause he, cause Amy Archer writes a piece about him calling him an imbecile. Right. And he wants to fire off a letter to her. And he's telling obviously Archer who he thinks is his secretary or is but she uh, wrote the article mimeograph yeah. writer, but he doesn't, can't say mimeograph throughout the movie. Uh, <laughs> he starts, he starts putting down something and he's like, you know what? Don't send it. And, you know, she's just trying to do her job, but it's like, I know that's trying to be a moment where she sees that he's a really nice guy, but I don't ever, I mean, it's almost like I, I, the argument can be made that she falls in love with Norval because that's the movie and it's plot. And that's Absolutely. What yeah. But I knew there's never really a moment in the movie where I believe that. Like, I agree that with could that. Happen. Yeah. And, and I think, I, I don't know. I think it has a lot to do with 
the way Tim Robbins played the character, you're talking about the doofiness that you said, which he right. does when he does the dance and he does the thing and ah! yeah, that whole stuff. <laughs> and I almost, it's very similar to, I had a problem with, what was the movie with uh, Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet when he- uh, tried, Beautiful Mind. Right. No, not a Beautiful not Mind. Not a Beautiful Mind. Beautiful Sunset? No. Eternal, Eternal Sunset, sunset of the Spotlight. Yeah. Eternal, Eternal Sunset of the Spotless Mind. Of the spot, yeah. My, I, I, I know that they- we're a couple. That's the whole that revolves around his their love their their love affair. Right. They love each other. I never could buy them as a couple. That that kind of bugged me throughout the entire film. I right. never bought that that relationship. So the same thing here. It's not as much as in that movie. In this one, I just don't buy the relationship as much. Only because I don't get enough in the movie for me to believe it. Would you have gotten? believed it more if he didn't like those moments where he's like ah she's just doing her job and then goes into like making fun of her again the oh, the reporter again i don't know like I, two or three times because that's what kind of bugged me about it it's like for every moment she starts to fall for him he says something not just doofusy but like mean there's never a genuine moment for me for norville until he hits rock bottom and he's depressed sure. and that's when he's just like oh and that's almost then i believe like he understands that he was he screwed up and he did everything wrong and he messed up and whatever right and you know i ne but like the whole stuff beforehand there wasn't a moment where i really felt like he was being a like i really thought i was really meeting the real norville barnes and sure. that just maybe i need an extra scene maybe i just missed it i i don't know that, that was kind of, of him being nice to the employees maybe there's some disconnect there yeah. helping the elevator guy yeah He's that whole that whole time. stuff was yeah because then he just but I guess you're, it's farcical at that point. This, the, you're starting to go into surreal, surrealism where he's like, yeah, he said you stole the idea from me. And he's yeah, just what like, about that? Yeah, like that stuff. I meant like before that, though, like if he was if I had seen him being a benevolent ruler first and mm -hmm. then saw him kind of that decline. Uh, he he kind of turned into that. And you're saying like it, it Musburger turned him into that. Uh, obviously, yeah, the fame and fortune and stuff. Yeah. But we never really see him being a super nice CEO. Either. No, you're true. This, this is true. This is true. And you also don't see you see Paul Newman for a little bit. You see the Musburger character. He puts him in office and then he just kind of disappears. He's running the company. Right. But he never really he doesn't really pay any attention to Norville. He's, he's waiting for him to mess up on his own. Right. Which is why he's not really like a villain in a more classical sense that you True. would normally see in maybe a business movie. He's like, let's hire this fool because he'll destroy the company. Right, right. And he does a pretty good job at destroying the company. Until he until he gets uh, hits it big with the circle. But then the circle kind of fails after a while. Well, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> you can't do this. You got one hit wonder. What do people say about, well, I got hula hoops for the large. I've got hula hoops for the thin. I've got hula hoops with extra sand for those who need a little for the heart of hearing. <laughs> An automatic hula hoops for the least. When he does the when he does the the joke, he's like, I don't know what the, all the hoopla is about. Everyone loves it. And then yeah. he tries to, I don't know what the hoopla is about. Uh, you can quote me on that. Everyone's just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love that all the all the ideas are circles in the movie that you see. Oh, the frisbee at the end. The, yeah, the straw with the uh, with the bend with the bend the bend straw. Yeah, and the frisbee. Yeah, uh, I like this. The so when Norville presents the hula hoop to the board, I was impressed that he could keep hula hooping the entire time. Oh, so was I was like, is he gonna? And I and I thought I was like, maybe, maybe this is digital. I don't. But there were a couple moments where he almost lost it and he had to go and down go and get it in. again. So I was like, no, he's really hula hooping throughout this entire time. <laughs> this is like, he, I can't even probably keep up maybe 15 seconds like yeah, I, I can't go and, for that long. and they cut there's different cuts in it and he doesn't do it for one long shot but it's it's about 30 to 45 seconds where it's he's doing pretty it. impressive yeah, yeah. then they, the little kid who finds the hula hoop at the well he's clearly kid. somebody who does that professionally but yeah, 
but he's still a little kid. Oh no, he's great. And he's like, oh, I'm going to yeah. his head. And the kids are all coming around screaming, just like, ah! It's <laughs> like, oh, going to work. I love it. I love that the prices are like free with every purchase. <laughs> and then the stickers come back on. My filmmaking brand's thinking like when they throw the hula hoops into the alleyway, the alleyway. and the one hula hoop continues on because that hula hoop they follow when it goes to the kid and then he does it. I'm days. like, how did they get that hula hoop to do that? Like, I'm thinking like, how did that happen? It's a lot of takes. I'm, I'm wondering if it was like that. Yes. Or they specifically, it's not like the others or some way where like, it's gotta be oh, something. Maybe. But hula hoops do turn like that if you try to like. No, no, no. The them, fact so, that it's, yeah. the fact that it stood up, that it went, it, you know, went ahead, went, it went to the right. I get that. I mean, I think that I had maybe they were pulling it along or something. It was great because I was just like, how is that hula hoop staying up? I think up? it probably just was like a lot of takes. <laughs> <laughs> I really dug the pla- the pants flashback. Oh, Whoa. the pants were so good. <laughs> a single. Oh, I got you by the pants. You want the double stitch? Yeah. Why the hell would I want that? So Paul Newman's hanging. Paul Newman's <laughs> hanging off the side of the building because he's trying to go after the papers that that Bernardo opens the window and all the, the, or, the contract yeah, papers contract go papers out. Contract papers leave, and um, he goes after him, and or Norval grabs him. He's like, "I got you by the pants," and and cuts to Newman. He's like, "Pants," and it goes back to his tailor. <laughs> the tailor's like trying to give him. You want the double stitch? It'll hold longer. No, you're trying to raise up to rake. You know. Yeah. Charge me more for that double stitch. Single stitch is fine. And then it goes back to I love when it goes back to him. He's just like, oh. And then you come the, the flashback you don't need. He's just like, he's a good, he must, yeah. Mr. Mr. is a good client. I'll he's, give him double stitch. He's a nice guy. I'll give him double stitch. And then the pants <laughs> stop ripping. <laughs> That's just so, like, it's just so Random. stupidly funny. I, I love it. Yeah. The scenes in the newsroom are really, really good. Yeah. Uh, between everybody. I mean, I like that takes a lot of rehearsal. John Mahoney as like the chief, like reminded me of like a, a Perry White from like Superman. Oh, yeah. Just like super, super grizzled, like classic newspaper guy. And then the reporters all like making fun of each other and their stories. The Perry White, the Perry White from the comics, or the Perry White from the Superman, uh, the 1979, 70 Supermans. The 19, well, the comics and the old Superman. Yeah, not Lawrence Fishburne. No, he's yeah. a very different Perry White. Yes. The ones from the comics and that are very like gruff, like yeah, old yeah. newspaper reporters. Yeah. And he's got the cigar box. Everyone's trying to get his cigars. Slaps him down. Uh, well, I, I thought all that was great. I liked some of the lines. Like, everyone has, like, you doing a bar article? Who's the guy? Where's he from? How, how many are, does he have parents? And then the reporter's like, uh, everybody's got parents. Well, how many? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, all those questions are so good. And then the bet they make, I bet she, I bet she, uh, when Annie comes in, I bet she mentions her Pulitzer. You're on. Yeah. And she doesn't say anything. And then she leaves. And then she comes back and they pay her. They pay each other. Oh, I lost the bet. And she comes back and goes, I'll stake my Pulitzer on it. And they give back to 20. I was like, oh, that's awesome. Oh, that she slaps Smitty a bunch of times. Oh, yeah. Come on. We'll go get a, a highball. Yeah, let's get a highball. Slaps her in the ass. And, and she tries to hit him. He blocks it. And she hits him in the other face. And he's got that great, like, because it says it a couple times, that ah, gag's got whiskers on it. Like, <laughs> Because so when they first meet in the uh, diner, she's obviously trying to get his attention. You got the two, the cat taxi cab guy, and I believe he's the bus driver. Bus driver, yeah. And they're narrating it, and they're just it's it's a that's great a, thing. That's a great narration. Yeah, yeah. And they both both have gas. Yeah, <laughs> oh, gas. Uh, wait, get you guys anything? Bromo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she goes, oh, he's not falling for it. Maybe he's smart. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's smart. Maybe he's dumb. Oh, she's going the waterworks. Oh, she's actually she's not going to do it, is she? Oh, she doesn't. He faints. It's like, oh, that's awesome. I went to try to guess the ailment that her mother-in-law or the, her mother has. So oh, yeah. lumbago. 
Do you know what lumbago is? I, I've heard the, the word before, it's, but I have no idea. It's just it lower is. back pain. Oh, is that it? <laughs> because <laughs> I've always heard it too. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm looking this up. And so they're like, lower back pain. <laughs> <laughs> I love the line at the end too. Like Norville gets like the best line, one of the best lines in the movie, I think. When he's all like stressed out and Andy tries to win him back. And then he decides he's going to go off the roof and jump off. So he's leaving the, the hipster club. And then he turns to her and goes, and you, how could you lie to me of all people? You, a Muncie girl. After she straight up told him that she was a reporter instead, he still thinks she's actually a Muncie girl. I was like, that's ah, so dumb. Uh, was it, I think it was the, was it the Paul Newman line when he goes, every step he took was a step up, excluding this last one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Except for this last one. My one of the moments I like with Norville is when he's like um talking to I think he's talking to Archer and uh, I think it's when he's complaining about the imbe- he is he's complaining about the imbecile article that came out. Okay. And he's sitting and he's like, "Would an imbecile come up with this?" And he spins oh, around the circle. The, the circle. <laughs> it's just a picture of the circle cuz that cuz what's it's it's a circle. But every time everyone sees it, nobody says it. They're like they think it's like a great big idea. Well, no, they think He's an idiot, but but it's like you know it's until it's, yeah. he actually builds the thing, yeah. And they just look at him like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's what like the circle is what makes Musburger at first think he's perfect for Barnes sure. is perfect for yep. CEO because he's just like, that's the idiot I need. But then he hears that he's and like, he goes, oh. did anybody anybody make fun of you? Call you dumb? Call you slow? No, you did. But you didn't go to school. No, I went to college. Graduated school of business actually. But you got poor marks. No dean's list. All right, get out of my office. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just to go back to some behind the scenes stuff, we talked about the Moses and Aloysius stuff. Um, they, there, there is a, there's different motifs in the film, narrative motifs uh, that pertain to the Rota for, Fortuna uh, and the visual motifs concerning motifs and concerning the shapes of circles. So you have the Moses monologue when, at the beginning, the hut where he's talking about that, the clock. Right. Yep. Uh, the wristwatch, Musburger's wristwatch. Uh, obviously, we've just been talking about the circle, the hula hoop and the frisbee and the, and the yep. straw, the circle there. And then there's a conversation that that Norville and Amy have about karma, which he calls it karma. Does he call it that? I don't think you or is he calls it something like this. He's like, he calls it something stupid. He calls it like, karma, karma. Yeah, like yeah. she says, you're, yeah. So, but, but the Hindus and the hips and the beatniks, beatniks both believe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they call it karma, yeah. karma. <laughs> so it's about the capricious nature of fate. So that's basically where you get all that from. When you know that, when you read that, it, it, everything else in the movie kind of starts making sense a little bit more, especially the yeah. fate aspect with Mo- Moses and Aloysius. Aloysius. Yeah. Yeah. When they, when they start fighting. Like when Peter Gallagher appeared during the, uh, during the, the party in the yeah. film, I really thought he was going to start being a, a major character in the movie. I was really surprised it was a throwaway cameo because they focus on him. He sings the song. I'm like, all right, so he's going to compete for like Amy Archer's affections. Or he's going to move in on the company. There's mm-hmm. going to be something with his character. And he never showed up. And it wasn't until the credits start rolling. Go, what the hell happened to which, Gallagher? Which is interesting because it's not like he he's it's, he's not new. Uh, while you were sleeping is 93. So, right, yeah. you know, he that was a that was a decent role for him. And he's been in other stuff. I think American Beauty's 99. So this is like right. in Peter Gallagher's time frame when he's doing stuff. I think I was, wasn't he in that TV show? One where it takes place in Orange County. 
that the OC, that, the OC yeah, that, yeah he was the he's father the right the dad, yeah. yeah so he was like that was around this time right in the 90s no, OC was 2000 was it yeah okay Early well, 2000, I thought it was like, I thought it was the 90s I'm, I'm lost but anyways mm-hmm. he, he's still doing stuff so yeah I don't oh, know yeah. maybe he just popped on to do it he probably just wanted to be in a Coen Brothers movie maybe I love stuff. the way he sings just, too he's just kind of like, like he forgets to keep saying that he's gonna drink he's like eh, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I thought it was really good I thought he was really good and I really thought something was gonna happen but Buzz was really good too I hey buddy know. like hey buddy ah oh, buddy come on buddy ah and then like i love how at the beginning when you're introduced to him and there he's like he knows everybody's floor mr front the 36 uh 37th floor 36 walk down and he just, <laughs> <laughs> just shouts at him i thought that was awesome so ebert roger ebert come on ebert don't hate on this movie praise the production design and the scale model work and the map paintings and the cinematography and the characters. But quote, but the problem with the movie is that it's all surface and no substance. He wrote, not even the slightest attempt is made to suggest that the film takes its own story seriously. Everything is style. The performance seemed deliberately angled as satire. Now, okay, but I've that's seen the movie, but I've seen movies that have done that and it's praised. I mean, like right. that's, you're right. That's what they're doing. The whole thing is a satire. It's, it's a farcical satire on right on business films so and stuff like that. That feels like somebody that wants the movie to be serious and doesn't like the fact that it's not serious. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and then maybe that's because he, they're not used to Paul Newman being in this type of role. Yeah. You or want it to be more silly, like stupid. Right. Right. So, I, I mean, but again, movies are subjective. So, you know, what are you going to do? Sure. Dessen Thompson of the Westing Post described the Hudsucker Proxy as being, quote, pointlessly flashy and compulsively overloaded with references to the films of the 1930s. Missing in this film's performances is a sense of humanity. The crucial ingredient in the movies Hudsucker is clearly trying to evoke. Hudsucker isn't the real thing at all. It's just a proxy. You know, I just talked to you about Rota Fortuna and that whole nature of fate. And like, so... I just talked to you about stuff that deals with humanity. <laughs> you know what also you talk about all the time is when reviewers try to get a good quote for their oh, their articles yeah. and being able to say it's just proxy is like probably like so clever that that guy's just like, yeah. So I'm going to end this. So I can, with I can end this proxy. with this word. Yeah. Look at that. People are going to love it. People are going to love it. The one thing I will agree with that review is like that kind of goes toward the character of uh, Norville. Okay. Not really having enough character maybe. But other than that, I think that like especially the character Ar- uh, Amy Archer might be a little overblown, but she's absolutely got character. She's mm-hmm. supposed to be representative of all those 1930 characters. Yeah. And then Paul Newman's Musburger, I was just talking about how I think he's an interesting villain because he's got he's not as villainous. He's like an actual. He's a businessman. Yeah. He's a, he's a he's a he's in the world in the business world. Yes, he's a, like you said, he's a shark. Right. But that's not necessarily a villainous role in business. Exactly. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just a businessman. That's right. part of what you do. If he went out of his way, I mean, yes, the things he does in the movie are not great. They're immoral because he's oh, trying yeah. to tank the, the, the stock so he can keep the business and he screws himself over because obviously the, the blue letter yeah. says that it, it could he didn't be, even yeah. give the blue letter. That's grounds for dismissal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, John Simon of the National Review described this movie as asinine and insufferable. What the hell is with these reviewers? Uh, right, right. Finally, we got a movie where the reviewers are like anti us. <laughs> <laughs> One last thing before we get to the uh, the stuff we do at the end, uh, unless you have other things. It, is that Phil Hartman on the speaker system in the down when he's in the mailroom 
and they're making the announcements. Oh, it might be. At one point, I thought John Goodman was doing some. Uh, was it this movie or maybe the other movie that we're going to? He do? does, but like he does other. He does announcements in uh, and other in in one of the other things. I think I don't think we talked about it. I think one of the movies we did. He John did, Goodman. Yeah, did do he was doing. Because there was one part where I thought I heard John Goodman's voice. I think in this. Um, but it could have been Phil Hartman in the newsroom. I think I, the newsroom scene was just so Brazil to me. I think that's what I was looking at and the set work in the newsroom. And then the old guy, how long have you been here? 45 years. He's throwing the mail. What do you usually do with the envelopes when you have to fold them or when the, the box is too uh, small for the envelopes? Cause it says you can't fold them. Yeah. He goes, I usually just throw them out. <laughs> <laughs> 45 years. They're going to boost me up to parcels next week. <laughs> Any quotes you liked other than the ones we talked about? I mean, Walk Down was really good. And then uh, Muncie Girl. I like the name Extruded Plastic Dingus, <laughs> which is the original name for the hula hoop. <laughs> oh, I also like. Uh, uh, we already talked, you know, for kids. That, that's what he says all the yeah, time. Yeah, you know, for kids, mm -hmm. which is the same with the Frisbee, which is also a circle, which is all made by the Whammo company. Mm -hmm. So they use Whammo products. I was waiting for the I thought the Slinky was going to be his next invention. Well, oh, I thought that yeah. maybe the invention was a slinky after all. Yeah. Well, yeah. The the straw, the the venerable straw is kind of that a concept. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So they're all circles. Um, I do like the line. Uh, get get a story. Jade Hoover. When will he marry? Uh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love the whole monologue that the uh, when Norval gets the job and the guy's describing the bedrooms. Just he's just describing everything and, oh, he, yeah. and everything's like he'll dock you, dock you, punch in late, and they dock you. And he's just doing the whole thing and everything's like file a faulty complaint and they dock you. And he's just doing the whole. Your number is four five seven two four. You got to remember that. Here, can you deliver this? This. this, this? <laughs> I love when he's he's the president of the company and he calls Norval. Yeah, it didn't give me your punch the card. Receipt. Yeah, I need uh, the receipt I'm, for the letter. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm actually the president. I don't care if you're the president. <laughs> I need. <laughs> I thought that was good, but yeah, there, I, there's so many good lines in this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, who would you recommend this to? I think a lot of people would enjoy this movie if they gave it a chance. Anyone who's like, okay, like it's definitely kind of. You couldn't make this now. I don't think there's an audience for it now. Oh, I think there's always an audience for this. Um, I mean, I I don't think it would be. It wouldn't do business, right? But I think that if you, if if there's anybody who likes movies from the '90s, I think that this this works. I think there's everything about this worked well. I think Tim Robbins is really good. Paul Newman's really good. The set design is phenomenal. Uh, the cinematography is great, and the, and the story is fun and it moves. It's quick. Mm -hmm. uh, it's an hour and what we said, fifty-one minutes. Uh, hour and eleven, one hundred eleven minutes, I think. Yeah, what so, I said. Right. Yep. 111 minutes. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's an hour and, hour 50, and 51. Right, hour 51. But it doesn't feel like that. It moves pretty quick. It feels more like it's like an hour and a half, maybe hour, 45 minute movie. Like it, it moves. It doesn't stop. It gets to the point really quick. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to watch. I think this would be a great movie night movie or a great like two part movie. Mm -hmm. Let's say if you watch like a serious Coen Brothers movie, you can end with the Hudsucker Proxy to kind of sure. end on a more upbeat note. Uh, I think it's a great winter film. Like I said, I think it was great that we watched this close to Christmas. Yeah. Everyone else is going to listen to this episode in like late March, but go ahead and watch it. It's still a good movie. And it's not like super holidays. Um, but I think that just kind of adds a little flavor to it. Right. So yeah, I, anybody who's okay with like nineties movies or Coen brothers movies that are maybe lesser known, I think they should give this a shot. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, it's also, it's a film that because it's set in a different time period and it's got, 
a bunch of sets and, and costume, you know, they're wearing obviously like costumes of the thirties. Right. Um, that it's a movie that is timeless. Like it'll, it'll last longer. You know what I mean? Like a lot of movies you watch right. are so dated. Oh, that's so seventies, you know, the way it looks or shot, but this movie feels like a movie that could last for a while. It's stylized enough. Right. That, yeah. I think it's often, no, I think it's often overlooked uh, by people who watch Coen brothers films just because it's not, it's not, they do stuff that's offbeat, but it's always usually tinged with a, a serious nature. Like Fargo's got some funny moments, but Fargo's about a murder, right? Uh, kidnapping plot gone wrong. Um, you know, like Oh Brother Robert has got some some levity moments, but it's about obviously about guy killing looking for money. Uh Oh Brother Rado, same thing. So there's more serious nature to that kind of stuff. Yeah, even Burn After Reading is Yeah, people are getting shot in the head. Comedy, but there's yeah. a lot of violence and darkness in that. So I think because maybe this is PG as well, maybe that turns people off. Um, sure, but I, I would okay. I'd, I agree with you. I recommend it to everything. I mean, are we saying that that's why it's forgotten? That that kind of that same concept. It's just not a typical Coen Brothers film. Yeah, I mean, I think I brought it up during Miller's Crossing. They've just done so much. Their breadth of breadth breadth of work is just so wide. And I think when you think of comedies, you're going to think of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Even though you just talked about how maybe there's serious stuff or Raising Arizona, and those are kind of the two main ones. Or if, also, you talk about Lady Killers in terms of ones that aren't good. Oh, I, I, a lot of people I like Lady Killers, but I I'm not a people. huge fan of I it. know, I know. That's fine. But I like Lady Killers. Um, but, you know, so I think those are the three that you talk about when you talk about their comedies. The bad one is is that one, and then the other two are are great. And then everything else is, everybody talks about No Country for Old Men. Everybody talks about um, all their other films, and it's mostly, I think, No Country for Old Men mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, at this point. But I think that you should go back and watch some of their earlier stuff, because stuff like Hudsucker Proxy is great, and Miller Crossing is is great, and they're overlooked just because they've done so many amazing films. And I mm-hmm. think that's it's a quote unquote problem. It's obviously great for them, but I think it's bad for their older movies that might just not get looked at. Right? Yeah. Where can they find us? <laughs> you can find us at ForgottenEntertainment.com or ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com. If you're on ForgottenEntertainment.com, check out all the other great podcasts and media we've got for you guys to consume. Go ahead, consume those little things, and then uh, yeah, while you're listening to us. Wherever you're listening to us, drop a like, rating, subscribe. All that good stuff helps the podcast. And that's what I got. All right. And uh, join us next week as we're going to 2001 to watch a film. We're going to watch something completely different uh, in, 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 very, in a lot of that. Well, I mean, it's in terms of it's making fun of a yeah. corporate culture. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I guess we're going to be doing Josie and the Pussycats. That's next week. Um, try to contain yourself. Uh, so uh, <laughs> until then, everyone have a great week. I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And this has been Forgotten Cinema.